This is The Careful Photograph, and I am your host, Tara Krynak. After a much-needed spring break, we are back this week with guest William Camargo and taking a closer look at his photograph titled, As Far As I Can Get in 10 Seconds, in the Alley Where Cops Chase Brown People Thinking They Are Cholos, after John Devola. As always, you can see William's photograph as well as the Devola photograph that we reference throughout the conversation on our website and Instagram accounts, thecarefulphotograph.com and at thecarefulphotograph. William Camargo was born and raised in Anaheim, California, and he is currently based in Southern California. His practice is truly multifaceted. He currently serves as Commissioner of Heritage and Culture in the city of Anaheim. He is also a teaching artist fellow at the Armory Center for the Arts and founder curator of the Instagram Latinx Diaspora Archives, which aims to elevate communities of color through the sharing of family photos. Since earning his MFA from Claremont Graduate University, he spent the last year as a remote artist in residence at NYU's Latinx Project. Project, where his solo exhibition, Negotiated Frontiers, can be viewed online through the end of April. He is also included in SF Camera Works Forecast 2020, a virtual group exhibition currently on view through March. William stays busy. I started following William Camargo's work a few years ago when he was still a graduate student at CGU and attended a series of lectures I hosted in my darkroom called Latinx Photographers from LA to the Inland Empire. And as unremarkable as this may sound, it was in fact something of a surprise. Over the eight years I've taught at Pitzer College, he was the first graduate student to attend one of my emerging artist lectures. But William found me, he found my dark, and he even brought a colleague. So a few years later, William Camargo's photograph, as far as I can get, popped up on my Instagram feed, and I absolutely loved it for its directly appropriative approach, for its political incisiveness and its tragic humor. In the conversation that follows, William and I focus on the ways that his appropriation and reenactment of John DeVolo's original photograph aims to re-inscribe Black and Brown people's lived experiences into the ways we look at and understand canonical photographs. We focus not only on the ways trauma may be embedded in the landscape itself, but on how the simple act of running depicted in a photograph may be a marker of violence and also contain trauma for Black and Brown audiences. As it turns out, John DeVola wasn't too thrilled that William Camargo was appropriating his original work, but this kind of disapproval from someone of DeVola's stature only serves to highlight the urgent need for artists of color to write ourselves and our own histories into the canon. I hope you enjoy this conversation. William! Thank Hello. you. Hi. Thank you so much for being my first guest on this podcast. Um, I was, I just want to get right into this image because I saw it first on Instagram and then I saw it again on the Strange Fire Collective interview that you did. Mm-hmm. And the image is as far as I can get in 10 seconds in the alley where cops chase brown people thinking they are cholos after John DeVola. And it says that it was made in 2020. So I first want to start off with just a description of the image because we're in working on this technology now where we're listening a lot and we're talking about a photograph. So I was wondering if you could describe in as much detail as possible 
this photograph? Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, it's it's called As Far As I Can Get in 10 Seconds in the alley where cops chase brown people thinking they are cholos after the vola. And it's an image, it's a black and white image uh, that I shot on a you know medium format camera. You see this um, alley, which is, you know, not too far from where I grew up, you know, kind of a vantage point at the end of the, the image. Um, there's a figure, which is... Um, me uh, in my kind of everyday, you know, clothing from high school up to to now, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little over 30 years old. And, you know, there's a slight, you know, white trash on the on the left. And it's it's a bit cloudy as well. So you can see that some of the clouds and, and you know, the very kind of aesthetic of a neighborhood that you definitely don't want to be around at night, as quote unquote folks would say that come from outside, right? Um, you know, you see the kind of Southern California palm tree um, that is not native of California, but also just everywhere. And then you see fencing left and right. Again, not super nice fencing, uh, fencing that sometimes um, is covered up in paint from graffiti or other paint that is trying to cover up that graffiti. Uh, and, you know, the figure is kind of towards the end of that vantage point. You could kind of see, uh, you know, the high socks, uh, the super quote unquote like aesthetic of a cholo, which is translated to a gangster, very Mexican American Chicanx um, kind of culture that that I grew up in. Obviously, it's it's supposed to be around forty by fifty uh, life sized when printed. Okay, so really large. Yeah, and, and you know it's done on purpose too. I, I want folks to be like imbibed by the image. This kind of like perspective of you know obviously I want folks to be in the place of, uh, of where the camera is, is photographing, which is, you know, towards this figure, uh, which is, which is my body. Yeah. That actually changes my, my understanding of the image because I've only experienced the image so small and on screen, but I'm now imagining it. I'm blowing it up right now on my screen and I'm trying to imagine its materiality and encountering this photograph at 40 by 50 inches. Um, and I have to say that that then is a, a sort of implication of the viewer. You know, when if, if I were to stand in front of that photograph, I am in the position of the camera, but I'm also behind you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sort of the size of my body then in the distance becomes, it is related to your body. There's a kind of embodiment that happens to the viewer at that size. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, it's also this kind of tension of, of, you know, power dynamics. I, you yeah. know, obviously uh, with the title, uh, you know, I, I kind of try to direct folks to, to really see that, that power dynamic that's relating in, in, in my neighborhood, right? It's, this is down the street from where I grew up. Uh, but also in, in, you know, in conversation with the, this power dynamics that photography does have. And I think that's, that's super kind of important to bring up front to think about how bodies, uh, non-white bodies are seen through the lens of photography. Mm -hmm. And how also they're interpreted in the streets, um, specifically in streets that, you know, a lot of black and brown folks grew up. Um, 
And even if, if, you know, you know, I think brown folks, I grew up in, in these other spaces that are like more suburbia, uh, which, you know, my hometown is, is quote unquote suburbia, but it's, it's turned into this other urban space. You know, those relationships that we do have are through these like lived experiences. And I think photography is a way for me to kind of try to talk about these issues and also, you know, have these conversations within myself as well. Right. I I also, as I was listening to you talk about the power dynamics, I'm also interested in your use of reenactment as a subversive tool. Mm-hmm. And this photograph is called As Far As I Can Get in 10 Seconds in the Alley Where Cops Chase Brown People Thinking They Are Cholos After John Devola. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to talk about who John Devola is and why it's significant for you to have reenacted this particular series of John Davola's. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, John Davola is a, a quintessential like Southern California photographer. And, and if, if people have been through institutions in Southern California in, in photography, yes, there's no way of not seeing his work, right? I'm, I'm thinking. No, it's like I, you, yeah. I mean, yeah. when I came... I didn't. I don't come from Southern California, but when I came here, it was like I I, I live um, in Claremont near the colleges where you went to school, and that's that's it. That's the that's John Davola. He teaches in Riverside. He has a very um, he has a reputation, and he has a lot of students that he mentored. And so there's just the landscape that in his depicted in his work is so associated with um, with his name, almost I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I'm thinking like every semester, I mean, probably twice a semester, I would be shown his work, right? This is kind of, yes. again, you know, the history of photography and, and who is shown in it versus um, who is kind of left out, but also like, you know, as an educator as well, is, is thinking about who am I going to show when I'm like teaching as well. Um, and so I couldn't really get out Get, get his images out of, of my head quite a bit. And I think, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm, the, I'm still going to be teaching Devola, but in a different context, right? I mean, he made this series in the 90s and, you know, his, his work wasn't really about any kind of racialized body, right? It was, you know, just kind of more experimental, abstract. And, and for me, right, I think we always have to think about who's viewing the work and the perspectives that a viewer brings in to the work. I mean, this was the 90s, another time when I think he was still in Riverside, I believe, you know, not so far away were the, the riots in 1992 and you know all of the 90s were these kind of you know we had the, also the Whitney Biennial I believe it was 93 or 94 that really was you know thinking about race and in, in, in kind of American history as well and again we were at this moment in 2020 where we now have many of these kind of big uh, city police departments wearing um, body cameras and I imagine that you know these perspectives the way I was photographing was the way these police officers were seeing black and brown people right and and you know i bring up in some of my my talks that when i speak about this work is you know how zara j murph was using you know the the image of Stevan clark uh you know but cutting out the image of the police officer with the gun and it also just again it was it was so uncanny to to see those to see john Neville's work and then see you know see uh, that image uh, that kind of like still image from the video uh, uh, camera and this was you know and like i think there's some 
someone was recording this or from his police car. I, I'm trying to remember, but right. And I think, you know, seeing again, like over and over again, um, these still images of, of body cameras. And mm-hmm. it was always this kind of running away image. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think John DeVolt never thought about that and never thought that his work was going to re- be reinterpreted in that way. But again, I'm always thinking about how we need to insert these experiences, these lived experiences into some of these, uh, in, into the history of photography, because I think it, right. it changes those conversations. Right. And those conversations need, need to be had because, you know, how do we, how do we get, how do we move forward um, when we're not thinking about that? Just building off what you're saying, one of the tools that you're using to, you know, I like to think of this work as tearing down the violent canon, like sort of interrogating it, mm-hmm. questioning it. And you're doing that through reenactment, through performance. And this is something I'm really interested in my own work as well, in terms of like, you know, you were talking earlier and I want to get into this a little bit, but this is something that I'm interested in, in terms of where we draw the line. Like I, I'm doing these performances and reenactments of Weston's work and Ansel Adams work. And I also think that these are very, they contain these kinds of violent histories, right? Mm -hmm. They're the whiteness of the gaze and the kind of how we don't necessarily associate like race with landscape. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering about like this line between homage and critique. It's like, I love John DeVolo's work. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, this is all like inspired by his work, obviously. Right. And I think. Yeah. Yeah. If if someone told you, right, like, you know, I'm thinking about James Baldwin and how can I not critique America? It's because I love it. And I think, you know, this is, this work is still homage, but again, it's, it's, it's coming from a perspective of, of a racialized body that is mine. And also like, you know, thinking about when I am going to be teaching it is talking about how folks uh, see it, how they look at it, how, you know, how they're watching it, watching this, this image and bringing in their perspectives. Right. And I think that's what sometimes is left out of these conversations is, you know, we, we look at Ansel Adams, we look at Weston and we don't kind of think about the perspective of how maybe, you know, Native American would see the work of Ansel Adams of this kind of stolen land that was once theirs. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, this is still an, a work of, of love and, and, and homage to John Lavola. And I think, you know, the way he responded, I, you know, I had this idea that he would never look at it because as, as famous as he is, you know, I was like, there's no way he's going to engage with this work. And if he does, I think it, it should be a conversation um, to have because there's still these young photographers that are looking at his work and be inspired by it. Did he engage with your work? Yeah, it was a very kind of like, you know, fragile, like, you know, I think it was, it was reactionary and he commented on, on the one about the liquor store, I believe. Um, I remember there was some, there was some controversy on Instagram about this work. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. He, you know, he, he mentioned that like, I was lazy that I couldn't get to the desert for some reason and that I was just kind of copying his work and, and. You know, yeah, he, he's like that I didn't know his, his um, ethnicity. You know, all those kind of things that, that shows this kind of, again, repeated, like this kind of white fragility that, that people have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, you know, it blew up. And, and then there was quite a bit of, of support from, you know, institutions and, and people that I admire and looked at their work. And, you know, very supportive and, and 
you know, really told them to be like, hey, you should like sit down, you know, you're still famous. Like, I think yeah. it's another time of engagement that needs to happen, you know, because this all happened, you know, at the time, you know, Amada Aubrey was shot. And then mm-hmm. a couple weeks after that, it was, you know, Andres Guardado in LA. And, mm-hmm. and for me, you know, that was one way to kind of deal with some of those, um, you know, those, those traumas, because I do remember running down alleys, you know, even as a child playing cops and robbers, like, you know, I was designated the the robber because I was a little more darker skinned than my other friends. And, you know, they were in you know, all those experiences come together. And I think that's what is really missing in, in some of these um, in some of these classes is like those experiences that we do kind of, you know, not one time that did, did a professor ask me, like, how do you feel about this, about the figure running away, et cetera. Because one of my first answers would be, it looks like someone's running away from a cop or someone trying to, yeah, yeah, you know, jump them, etc. And I think that's that's something that I'm really kind of trying to engage uh, with with students. Um, and one way to kind of also, I think a lot of artists do this is just we try to deal with that trauma through making art, <laughs> which is maybe yeah. you know something that that you know we do need to talk to therapists as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because then it just blows up into this kind of like, but but I think you know the the rage that I did have during that time is was coming out from those many years that I would see his work. That you know it's not just his work, right? It was other other artists' work, and that kind of bottling up that happened uh, for so long about you know the canon uh, versus my experience mm-hmm. growing up in in a, in a place that's uh, different than his. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said about um, trauma and that I think a lot of times people will mistake work that is critiquing trauma or attempting to talk about how trauma is embedded in landscapes or in certain symbolic images for example, like a man running away in a street in this, I mean, if I, I'm look, still looking at this devil and like comparing it to yours and I'm thinking, you know, I mean, there is the, in, uh, as far as I could get RO2FO9, um, it's in, it's nighttime and you just see this like flash, right? Mm-hmm. And it looks almost like a surveillance image. It looks really grainy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is something there are these like visual factors that that automatically put us into this kind of position of urgency as a viewer. Mm-hmm. We we and and he's doing that on purpose. You know, like these are things that are markers of like that high flash, the night, the singular figure running away. What is he running away from? Like there are all those questions that are in fact in his images as well. And so like when I look at your image, you know, because it was made in 2020, at this moment in our country, where a brown man running away is, and in the in the location that you've shot, is completely is red, has different markers, right? And so I feel like your work is really powerful this series because it deals with this idea of like a shared visual trauma, like the way that trauma is actually visualized. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. There's this kind of way that you are dealing with how trauma is embedded into an image versus dealing with, yes, it may be cathartic to make the work, but it's also, I think, a way of trying to understand how 
trauma is is embedded into our photographs, the violence of images, and also like our kind of shared understanding, you know, of these these markers um, and the landscape, the way that the landscape holds violence, holds trauma. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, the landscape has witnessed many things and and. When I was making this work, I was thinking of like Ken Gonzalez's work on on race lynchings and yes. these trees that that um, witnessed those violence, those violent acts, and and how much you know, how much history uh, the, these landscapes have. And you know, I think thinking about the that specific image that you talked about, John Lavola, is if I showed that to my parents, they would. I think the first thing they would say is, "It looks like some like the border." And so yes. running away from ice. <laughs> I was thinking the same yeah. thing. Yes. Because, yes. right. I mean, those experiences, like, especially my mom's experience of, you know, a couple of times being caught by ice while running away. And, and, and for me, it's like, I'm not going to show her that because there's this violent act that was done upon her. And in these images kind of bring back that trauma. And I think, and this is not, so, in, and I'm sure John Vola didn't meant this to be a violent image. But again, the audience that is shown to it, right? I mean, I'm thinking of like the demographics of community colleges. Like right. there's going to be some um, some experiences that will bring up trauma of, of, you know, their family or personal trauma that, that has been occurred. And I think, you know, that's missing as well. And, you know, that, that is important. And I think, you know, obviously I think for us, it's, it's you know, I deal with trauma through making art. And, and Yeah, yeah. And that's how we problem solve too sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also like, just when I compare these two photos side by side, I'm also thinking about how yours is in during the day, during a cloudy day, and his is at night, and you're not using flash. It, yours is very kind of flat lighting. There aren't many high key areas. There's a lot of beautiful midtones. It kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of, you know, again, just like this new topographics um, mm-hmm. way of printing um, and it's, it's a beautiful, <laughs> I mean, it is beautiful. It is a beautiful, well-balanced, full tonality, like there's, and, and the ways that I think, um, the, the white sock on the left foot is mirroring the white trash on the left-hand side of the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the the actual white points, the high the highlights of the image, are like a sock and this one piece of trash on the ground, which to me it's just really poetic. And then when I look at John Devola's image, there's something about the glowing white figure that almost seems um, larger than life, or like I can't tell if if the figure is running away or towards me, you know, it's actually really ambiguous to me. And maybe that's just also like my gender as a woman. Like if I put myself in that position, I think, is that person running at me? Is that a large man running at me? You know, like I, I have this immediate desire to run away um, because the figure looks really big and looming and it's the figure is so white and you can't see any of the detail. You can't make out. It's it's almost like this glowing white, uh, I would almost say monstrous or ghostly f- figure mm-hmm. looming in the middle of this, like almost hovering. Um, whereas you are clearly grounded. Mm-hmm. You are wearing black. You, you're not wearing white. You're not using a flash. And so I, I love the, um, the kind of reversal of that 
the way that you, I'm, and I don't even, I'm not even sure if you were reinterpreting that particular <laughs> image, but um, when I do this kind of side-by-side -side comparison of those two, there's just so many poetic kind of qualities about the your reenactment of it mm -hmm. um, and these like almost reversals that happen. There is no escape. In the John DeVola image, you can escape to the horizon of the city in the background. Mm -hmm. you can, your eyes can sort of go up towards the infinite sky, whereas in your image, you're trapped in this alleyway. There is no way out. I get lost in this image, which is why I wanted to talk about it. And I mm -hmm. actually, I want to see it now. I want to see it large. I want to see it really big. Will there be an opportunity for me to see this image large, William, at any point soon around uh, the area? I mean, I'm hoping like once this is all over, um, I, I will have it in my studio. I'm, I'm, I'm sending some stuff to print and, and working with my printer. But, you know, I think, you know, there was limitations of, of me doing this work as well that I don't think John DeVola ever thought about. You know, I am weary to make this work at night, right? And, yeah, and using, absolutely. Using flash and using, you know, the, the same materials that he, he is using, right? I mean, the kind of, um, you know, I think when I tried, you know, I have a, some several outtakes of this um of this first one of uh, the alley and you know i had a a car nearby that was kind of going um you know driving down the alley as well and he looked back and he was like he just like yelled oh shit <laughs> because he thought someone was literally chasing me right and and you know those kind of you know those are not you know brought up in in um in 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 my images but again yeah. these were because of the you know this different place i'm in and this like negotiation with with the land that is that i'm currently residing in um you know i i wouldn't wouldn't do this at night especially knowing right. that the street is is police three four times as much as other parts of the city and so i think you know and, and thus you know bringing back to i do want this to be a, this big print that is is um that puts people in these spaces or I wouldn't say even confrontational spaces, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking of if this goes up in this white wall mm -hmm. where, you know, museum, et cetera, is, is most of the time it's going to be looked on by white folks. Right. And I think that's something that I'm also yeah. thinking about when thinking about this work, you know, and, and someone that has worked with, with John DeVola was like, if I was still at UCR Arts Blog, I would have your image right next to his and see what happens. Uh, I, I don't think yeah. he would be happy yeah. about it, but. Well, there's always appropriation, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's nothing um, new. It's nothing new. And I think yeah, that's what surprised me. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like the artists that I, I look at, you know, how appropriation does comment on the canon and comes and comments on, on you know, this status quo of, of, of whiteness um, in photography. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always throwing out there the work of Lara Aguilar and, and you know, her landscape oh, work. Love her work. Mm -hmm. Love her work. So just to end, I think, you know, I wanted to keep these kind of tight. And I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add, but I think I, I just want to talk just a a little bit about, I know that history is really important to your work, sort mm -hmm. of engaging with, you know, the, the, the trauma that is embedded into the land, the landscape and certain areas, um, around where you live, where you reside. And so I think just to talk a little bit about 
this location, its histories, the people that live there, just so that we have a little more context for where this photograph was taken. You talked a little bit about where it was, but um, is there anything else that you want to add in terms of the history? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, it, it's not far from from Pitzer and, and Scripps and the Claremont Colleges. It's um, in Anaheim, California, which again, I think has erased a lot of the Latinx community that it, it particularly is. Um, and, you know, this brought me back when I was doing this work, it brought me back to um, to a year that, that we also had riots and we had, you know, two police shootings back to back. And one that I, you know, one person that I did know from high school, you know, was shot by police. And it was again, you know, that he was running away. And, you know, and, and I'm always trying to make connections with, you know, local history. And, you know, folks that are from, from the city definitely saw that. And I think, you know, I'm always trying to bring that about as well and trying to center these histories that, you know, that we're not going to probably learn in public school. I never learned about any of the histories of, of my city and, and the contributions of Latinx folks uh, and Native Americans in the city. So that I think that's always important when I try to make the work and you know one of the reasons why I came back from living in the Midwest for a while is mm-hmm. kind of really digging into that history and and uh, who is erased from it who has a stake right. in it who is able to you know even kind of navigate these spaces and you know they're so different from what we could told us as being the place that houses the happiest place on earth <laughs> and and you know the way I grew up wasn't wasn't the very happiest place that I lived in. You know, growing up, I thought, you know, I would see the fireworks um, of Disneyland, and I thought there were that Disneyland was so far away. And and <laughs> growing up, I was like, I can like pretty much walk to it, bike to it. You know, two three minute like car ride there. Um, but I never was in those spaces because, again, you know, there was this like separation. And and that happens a lot. And I think a lot of cities, the reality of, of who gets to kind of navigate Because Disneyland is such a tourist site. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about the Disneyland craze until I got here. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. No, it's- I didn't even. It's huge. I, I was. It's a whole cult, cult of Disneyland that I had no idea existed until I got here. I was like, but yeah, I've heard you talk about that before. And I just think that's so funny that you grew up right there in the, in this idea of magic, like the most magical place. I just think that's, that's, I mean, the way that you describe that is so funny as well. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just like turning it, turning it on its head really, which is, I think again, why I really love this image and what you're doing with it and, um, and how you use reenactment and performance in your work, in your practice in general as well. It's really powerful, William. So thank you so much for coming before you go, William. Um, I wanted to, uh, record a prompt for my students. And so I wondered if you feel comfortable just doing that now, or if you want to send it to me and I can add it later. No, no, I'm comfortable now. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think like this whole like reenactment, right. Mm -hmm. Reenactment and and performance and reenacting something from the canon uh, would be super interesting to see the students do. Um, Yeah. I think that's, that would be, great for them to look and to see what images inspire them and or make them angry (laughs) and and or disturb them in some way and to sort of do a reenactment I think that would be amazing so thank you for your prompt and thank you for being the first guest and I'll see you soon in class Thank 